1 Thessalonians chapter 2, title of our series is Hopeful Living, and the title comes from the overall theme of this epistle, $10 Christian word, simply means letter, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he and Silas planted on their second missionary journey, Hopeful Living, How to Live with Hope of the Coming Christ. And, um, you know, in the, I've gone over the introduction of uh, 1 Thessalonians, and so for time's sake, I'm not going to go over it. You can listen to the messages that have transpired up until this point. But last week, uh, we transitioned from the evangelical heart of the Apostle Apostle Paul uh, to look at his pastoral heart. And um, simply put, Paul's pastoral heart was one of a shepherd. And uh, what we saw was that his heart of a shepherd was manifested in three distinct ways. Number one, Paul was faithful. He was faithful in his manner, he was faithful in his message, he was faithful in his motive, and he was faithful in his methods. As well, not only was Paul faithful, but Paul was nurturing, just as a nursing mother. Uh, And thirdly, Paul conducted himself as a spiritual father. He exhorted, he comforted, he he gave a charge to the Thessalonians, all the things that that a father is to do. And and his whole focus was that they would walk worthy. We're really going to dig into that today. And ultimately, the idea is that Paul's pastoral heart was a much-needed resource for this young church. A much-needed resource. Now, the dictionary defines a resource this way. A resource is a, a source of supply. It is a source of support or aid, especially one that can be readily drawn upon when needed. Uh, as I've shared with you before, Brenda and I, we recently bought a fixer-upper, uh, and it is more fixer than upper, although it's slowly coming around. And in the process of working on this house, uh, I need resources to do this. And uh, recently, one of the resources I needed was a nail gun and an air compressor, and a couple of guys in the church uh, have them. Uh, and, uh, and so was able to draw upon them for the purpose of building my house. Well, spiritually speaking, it's the same way. We need resources as Christians to build our spiritual house, right? And God provides those resources. When we think about everything that the church is called to be and everything that the church is called to do, the fact is, as we saw last week, we all need shepherds, right? Whom we can look to, who we can draw from as a resource for godly growth. Um, Well, today the focus shifts from the resources available to this church in their dedicated shepherds, and now what Paul is going to do is he's going to talk about additional divine resources that are available to the church, not just to the church of Thessalonica, but to our church as well. And of course, the church is people. It's comprised of you and me. Together, we are the church. And so there are resources, divine resources, that are available to us to build our spiritual house. And so we're going to look at three divine resources in our text today that are available to every church. We're going to look at God's Word in us, 
We're going to look at God's people around us. And thirdly, we're going to look at God's glory before us. If you're taking notes, you can write that first point down. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time on the first point, uh, a bit of time on the second point, and I'm going to make just one quick point on the third third divine resource, and then we'll wrap it up. So God's word in us is where we start, and we left off in verse 13. Paul says this, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received... The word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. First divine resource available to the church, God's word in us. Now, Paul starts off by saying, for this reason. What's the reason? Back up one verse. He says in verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, that you would walk worthy. A worthy walk. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about how we walk. Dozens and dozens of verses about our walk. Uh, Micah 4.5 says, For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Man, we can do a whole message on that one verse right there. All people walk each in the manner of his God. It's been said you examine your time and you examine your, you know, the, you can look at your, your calendar, you can look at your checkbook register, and those two are really good indications of who the God is that you serve. That's a painful truth right there. Uh, what consumes your thoughts, what consumes your time, what consumes your money, these are indicators of who your God is. And, and Micah says, uh, all people walk in the name of their God. Right? So, so what, is, what is the name of your God? That will determine how you walk, the course of your life. And he says, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.1, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, here it is, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He says as well to the Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should, here it is, walk in them, in the works that God has prepared for us. He goes on to say, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, contrary to popular opinion, the major task of Christianity is not only to get us ready for heaven. Certainly, uh, that is a task, and a major task of Christianity is to get us ready for heaven, but it's not the only task. Another major task is to equip us to live faithfully in the present. Uh, Paul said this to the Ephesians. He says, For you were once darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Uh, Walk as children of light. That word now, it literally means right now. It means in the immediate present. And so the, the, the issue is, how's your walk in the immediate present? Paul said to the Colossians, As you therefore have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. He said to the Galatians, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
And the Apostle John said this, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so the message of the scriptures is how to be born again and secure the hope of new life. And then it is how to walk in that newness of life with all the world's pressures and all the world's problems. Accordingly, we don't come to church just to huddle together and to hang on. Right? We come to get equipped for the fight, right? We come to seek those godly resources to build our spiritual house. And then we are to go out and we are to fight this battle. I like what Ray Stedman said. He said, the purpose of the church is not to make the world a better place to live in. It's to make a better people to live in it. So toward that end, God has given to the church the secret of life. And the secret of life is Jesus, right? Uh, The Apostle John said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We're going to be looking at this message of of light in in our our Christmas Eve message. I'm so excited about it. I've been preparing this message for a couple of months. Been just totally stoked about it. Actually, even longer than that. Uh, About three months, God gave me just what what the subject matter was and the focus and the the introduction to the message. I'm really excited about it. And uh, and so you can look forward to that. But uh, God's given to us that secret of life. His name is Jesus, and he's the light of men. He is life, right? And Christians, by the way, are the only ones who have that secret. We're the only ones, right? Uh, John uh, said Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, but as many as received him, to them he he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, it might sound arrogant to say that Christians are the only ones that have the secret of life, and yet the statement is absolutely true. Peter, talking to Jesus in John chapter 6, you may remember the the scene. Jesus has just delivered a very difficult uh, message to the people. Crowds and multitudes following him and flocking him, and Jesus said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood... You have no part in me. And of course, he's speaking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and, and he, that he came to give his life, right? And Jesus preaching this message, it was a hard message for the people to hear. And the, the, the Bible tells us that a lot of people began to bail at that point. A lot of people went away and they said, we're not going to follow him anymore. And it was such an impact as so many people going away that Jesus turned to his disciples. He goes, you guys going to leave too? And Peter at that moment, he goes, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life, right? And so, so the, the attitude, the idea here is, is that in Christ, the secret of life is, is, is the, the, the life that is available to us. Jesus said this in Luke's gospel. He said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house <clears throat> who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And so this is the secret of life. Not simply believed, but put into practice, right? God's word. 
not just believed, but put into practice. This is what makes a Christian stop lying and telling the truth. Stop stealing and live honestly. Makes him uh, temper his anger. Uh, Gives him self-control. Makes him focus on building others up rather than tearing them down. Makes him put away bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and choose rather to forgive. And here's what I want you to hear. Because we're talking about how God's word is this divine resource. God's word is not that divine resource when you approach it as a rule book and and you say, I got to do this, I got to do good, I got to try harder. No, no, no. It is the only thing that can accomplish all of those things in your life is God's transforming power in his word when you receive it by faith and you let his word accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. Paul says, for this reason that you would walk worthy, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it as it is. Uh, You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That word effectively, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle it nearby. You could write to put forth power because that's what the word literally means in the Greek. It's the word energia and it's to put forth power. And, and Paul told the Hebrews this. He said, for the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And I want you to notice, Paul says it's God's word that effectively and powerfully works in you. It's his word. It's God's word that does the work. Paul Tripp, in his book, Dangerous Calling, has a great commentary on Isaiah 55. Let me share the scripture with you. It says, For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it, right? For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. The, the get here is the idea that God's word goes forth and it fundamentally transforms who you are naturally. In the natural, you are the thorn bush. You are the briar bush, right? Symbols of sin. That's who you and I are. But something magical happens when God's word hits the soil of our hearts. What happens is it causes the, 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 you in your natural state, what do thorn bushes pr- produce? They produce thorns. What do briar bushes produce? They produce briars. But God's word causes you to produce a fruit that is totally unnatural to who you are. That's what Isaiah is saying. And so it's God's word that does this tremendous work in your heart. Now hold that thought, because Paul makes another important distinction in verse 13. He says, when you heard the word of God from us, you welcomed it, here it is, as it is the word of God. In other words, what did they do? They responded to the authority of God's word. To the authority of God's word. 
Brenda and I, over Thanksgiving, we went to see our daughter Megan, her husband Ben, and my four of my grandkids in Virginia. We hadn't seen them in 10 months. It had been a long time. And so we were so grateful to go out there for Thanksgiving. And whenever we, we get the opportunity to go out there, you know, Ben's in the Navy, and, and they've got four kids, and they're all young. Uh, and so it's, it's difficult for them to, to have time alone. So Brenda and I will say, hey, listen, while we're out, make a point to get away. Like, you know, go. We'll stay. We'll watch the kids. Go somewhere overnight. Enjoy yourselves. We'll take care of the kids. And so they, they reluctantly took us up on it, right? <laughs> Not so reluctantly. So we're watching the kids. And, uh, and, you know, listen, time with Nani and Papa is great when, it, when it's, you know, all about the sugaring them up and letting them, then giving them back to mom and dad. But when you sugar them up and then you got to be there for the follow through and put them to bed, not so much, right? So we're working on <clears throat> bedtime routine and, uh, and it's not going so well, right? The kids are not responding to our authority. And so Brenda, being the brilliant grandmother that she is, she says, oh, uh-oh, I think I hear your dad's truck in the driveway. <laughs> All of a sudden right? There's a total change. Now they're running to bed. They're like, you know, there they are. What happened? They responded to authority. That's what happened. You see, Nani and Papa don't have authority like dad's got authority, right? I hear your father's truck in the driveway. Here's the deal. Not everybody respects the authority of God's word. Not everybody responds to the authority of God's word. I heard recently there's a gal named Ainsley uh, Earhart. Uh, she's on uh, a show called Fox and Friends. Now, I don't have cable TV. I don't watch television anymore. But uh, apparently, she's an outspoken Christian. And, uh, and so she, on you know, several of her broadcasts, just you know, is very out there with her faith. And at one point, I guess she was talking about a, a Bible study that she's a part of. Well, um, uh, Howard Stern heard this, and he took the occasion on his radio program to mock Ainsley Earhart and her faith and her Bible study and all these things. And uh, Sean Hannity had, uh, had Ainsley Earhart um, on his show, and he was asking her about this thing. He said, look, I heard you talking about this. I heard Howard, Stone bash, or, uh, Howard Stern bashing you on his radio program. What do you have to say about that? And her, such a classy godly response. She said, we, we heard that. Me and my Bible study have been praying for Howard Stern. God loves him and, and wants him to come to know him. And so she's talking about that. And, uh, and Sean Hannity then, then said something which, which, which I find very, um, uh, very insightful from a Christian perspective. He said, quote, I've interviewed Howard on radio and on TV. In some ways, I admire him, but what I realized is that he does not understand as smart and talented as gifted and gifted as he is, he doesn't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't have what you have, which is to say, he doesn't seem to think ever about the majesty of God and his need of him. In other words, Howard Stern has no regard for the authority of God's word. You're like, tell me something I don't know, right? People, some people don't, right? The Bible talks about that. The Bible says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. J.I. Packer said this. He said, the Bible is God speaking. 
Your father's in the driveway. The Bible is God speaking. And here's what concerns me today. What concerns me, certainly I'm concerned for the lost. Those those who have no regard for the authority of God's word, certainly we're concerned for the lost. Uh, We have an uh, evangelical approach uh, to to what we do, an evangelistic approach to, to reaching the lost. But what concerns me as your pastor is Christians who wink and cherry pick different scriptures. They'll wink at the stuff that they don't like and they will cherry pick the scriptures that they do, right? And, and so, oh, I will give this authority. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I like that. But the, but the, the verses that they don't like so much, eh, not so much, just sweep that one under the rug. That concerns me. And the key distinction that Paul makes here as he's talking to the Thessalonians, he says, is that you welcomed the word. That word welcomed is so, kid- so critical, it means to receive by deliberate and ready reception of what is offered. This is what they did with the word. And, and, it, and it carries the idea not just of belief, but a belief that results in action. A belief that you take up and that you own. This is the very words of God. Right? And that's why. Because it's God who is speaking. It's been said that the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to transform the child of God into the image of the Son of God. That's what the Word does. But you have to obey it. You have to revere the authority of God's Word and obey it in order to be transformed by it. Jesus said, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words is what Jesus says. That word receive, it means to take up a thing to be carried. This is the idea. This is what the Thessalonians did. And Paul is praising that key distinction. Is that a key distinction with you? That's the question. Paul told Timothy this. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the word of God is profitable for doctrine. In other words, it tells us what's right. It's profitable for reproof. That tells us what's wrong. It's profitable for correction. How to get right is the idea. And it's also profitable for instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. All of these things come from the Word of God. And here at Reliance Church, we don't just intellectually believe this to be true. We know it to be true. We have seen God's Word transform and heal people. And we have testimony after testimony after testimony of marriages healed, families strengthened, people who have deep-seated hurts and, and wounds from their past that have been healed, drug addicts that have been completely set free, uh, Bible studies praying, Oh, my brother's a drug addict. We're praying for for him to come to know the Lord and be saved. He now teaches that Bible study who was praying for his salvation. He not only got saved, now he teaches the Bible study. Why? Because God does a transforming work, and it's not the work of men. It's the work of God in his word. The psalmist said, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. 
That brings us now in our text to the second divine resource that's available to this church. Number one, God's word in us is is a divine resource. Secondly, God's people around us. God's people around us. Verse 14, Paul says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and they're contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Listen, Paul's talking about the persecution that comes from the ungodly that they're in community with. And he's talking about how they're persecuting them. Why? Because they have chosen to live a life that's separated from the world unto the Lord. And the unsaved world hates that. Hates that. Right, you, you know, a friend of mine used to tell the story about how he came to know the Lord and he's trying to, to, be, to witness to his unsaved friends and, and he's telling them how he was born again and how he's come to know the Lord and, and one of his buddies' response is, oh, so, you, so you're all holy now? Right, and, and just this contemptuous sort of ostracizing and, and Paul's saying, look, that's what you've experienced, that's what we experience and, and they're so bad, we're trying to save these these." people that are going to hell, these Gentiles, and, and they're trying to prevent us from doing that. That's what he's talking about. And he says to the Thessalonians, not only did you welcome the word and its supernatural work in your hearts, but, and here's the key thing, you became imitators of the churches around you. That word imitators is the word mimic in the Greek. You started mimicking not the ungodly people, but you started mimicking other, other churches. And the implication is you're mimicking people that are living a godly life. Paul told the Philippians this. He said, brethren, join in following my example. It's the idea, that same word, that, that, that mimic, right? Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. That, that word pattern literally means a mold. We'll come back to that. See, this idea of mimicking, so important, it's an essential part of human development. Did you know that? Just in your natural human development, mimicking is a key part of that. Scientists have discovered that from birth, newborns begin mimicking certain facial expressions of the people that are around them. For instance, if you stick out your tongue, the child will, will mimic that behavior and will stick out their tongue. And as they grow, mimicking becomes a major aspect of their growth. It's absolutely vital, scientists have discovered, to their development of language and social skills. Now, it's very instructive to consider what drives toddler imitation, right? What is it that that drives them to imitate? Um, writing for Parents Magazine, Dr. Lisa Nalvin, who's a developmental and behavioral specialist, she said it's the instant connection that mimicry creates between parent and child that drives all mimicking behavior. It's all about, she says, bonding with daddy. That's the connection, right, that drives this. 
Another aspect of this to consider is that before physical mimicking ever occurs, it's preceded by a considerable amount of study. In other words, the child studies very intently those around him or her to, before they ever begin following through and mimicking the behavior. And this happens all throughout their development. We could do a whole message on mom and dad and the importance of the community that your child keeps, right? This is one of the big reasons why Brenda and I, one of the biggest lessons that we learn and one of the biggest pieces of advice that we can give for parents of young children is you guard the door of who has access to your children in terms of to influence them. There are certain relationships where you just have to go, not them. They, they, we get, we got to guard that door and keep them away from that person. We don't want them mimicking them, right? So according to Dr. Daniel Kessler, he's the Director of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics at the Children's Health Center in St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, he says this, children spend a lot of time observing and processing information before they attempt mimicking that behavior. In other words, children take their cues from others, right? And experts have concluded that imitation follows a four-step process. That four-step process is, it begins with watching and listening, then processing, thirdly, copying the behavior, and then practicing the behavior. Now, understand what Paul is commending this church for is he said, you mimicked not the ungodly people around you. You mimicked the other, the other churches around you. You mimicked the other Christians, how they were, were living out their faith. You watched, you listened, you processed, you copied their behavior, and then what happened is it became part of your regular practice. And the Bible says this is how we are supposed to, to behave. We're supposed to do the same. Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God. As dear children, we're supposed to uh, watch, listen to God, process what, what God has to say, copying the behavior that we see God, Jesus modeling and the, and the Bible outlining, and, and then making that part of our practice. And the Bible also says we're to mimic other Christians. This is what Paul's commending the Thessalonians for. Uh, he, he said this to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, here's my question for you. Who are you imitating? Who are you mimicking? Right? So critically important because we see this contrast that, that Paul talks about. And look at again, verses 14 through 16. For you, brethren, you became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. Right? But, he says, for you, you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. This is the contrast right? Countrymen, just as they did uh, from the Judeans who, what did the the non-Christians do? They killed both the Lord Jesus, they killed their prophets, they've persecuted us, and they don't please God. They're contrary to all men. And they go, he goes on, they forbid to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved and so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul is giving this, this contrast, And the contrast is for you and me to take to heart. Like, who is it that I'm going to mimic? Whose behavior is it that I'm going to copy? 
Don't take your cues from the world. Take your cues from Christians. Take your cues from the Lord. Paul told the Corinthians, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And it certainly does. Now let me put Philippians 3.17 back up on the screen for you. Paul says, brethren, join in following my example, right? Mimic me. And note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. I told you that word pattern. It literally means a mold or a form. And I immediately think of Romans 12.2 where we're exhorted, do not be conformed to this world. Another way of saying that is don't let the world press you into its mold, right? But what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that? The word of God, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so God's word in us, a divine resource. God's people around us, a divine resource Thirdly and finally, God's glory before us. Paul says this, verse 17, But we, brethren, we've been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. Man, we're thinking about you all the time. Endeavoring, uh, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly. What did we do? We endeavored more eagerly to see your faith with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come again to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? Or joy, or crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and our joy. Listen, Paul is focusing on the future, and he's talking about what is, what is theirs to have, and what is his to have, and what is ours to have. And so he's in a situation where, man, I'd love to be with you. I'm not able to be with you, but here's what I'm doing. I am looking forward to future glory, and I'm I'm rejoicing that, 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 you know, what is it? You're our hope, you're our joy, the crown of future glory. What is happening? Hey, we're going to be glorified together in Jesus Christ. You're ready for it. I'm ready for it. And and see, the issue for us, it's perspective. That's the divine resource that's available for you, is perspective. See, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life circumstantially. Because what happens is that you as a Christian, me as a Christian, what we have is we can look to the future glory of Jesus Christ. We can look forward to our joy and our crown and what is our hope and how can we live in hopeful living. Listen, God's done a work in you. He will continue his work. He who began a good work in you, the Bible says, will be faithful to complete it until what? Until the day of Jesus Christ. The future, the coming glory. And so that's a resource that's available to you is you you can change your perspective right now. You know, somebody once said, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And he says, well, what are you doing under those, right? <laughs> and, and so the, the thing for us, we, we have God's word in us. We've got God's people around us. Listen, we've got God's glory before us. Three questions as we close. Question number one. What authority does God's word hold in your life? 
And I'm talking about taking a walk with this question and not just paying it lip service, but I'm saying taking your calendar, taking your checkbook, taking those telling things in your life and saying, how do these things match up with God's word? Second question, who are the three main people whom you mimic or who you desire to mimic? This is a great question. This is worth the price of admission. This one I've been walking with this week. Who, who are the three main people in my life that I'm trying to, to copy and emulate the way that they live? Right? And, and, and a really instructive question there. Take a walk with that. Think through that. Pray through that. Maybe you might come to the place where you go, man, I, I, there's not really anybody that I am copying. Okay. Well, you might want to start looking for those people who you can copy, who you can imitate. One of the things Brenda and I did in our parenting, we would always find kids that were a little bit older than our kids in the next season of life we would look for those kids that were nailing it that were really good kids and we would on purpose sit down with their parents and say what are you doing with your kids we want to, we want to mimic that because it's working for you so what are the three main people who you mimic or desire to mimic third question how does your future glorification in Christ inform your present situation What are you doing under the circumstances? 